I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Delivery for JP Tuesday. Ooh, ooh, it's the Kablam Man. I love the Kablam Man. Ooh, D- bubble wrap, bubble wrap. On behalf of the Kablam Corporation, we suggest that you do not pop the bubble wrap. Aww. Well, yes, we are almost to that finish line, almost there in our 60th anniversary retrospective on Doctor Who, and we have reached the 13th Doctor, the most recent Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, the first woman to officially be the Doctor. Yeah, officially. Uh, There has been other women who have played the Doctor in other productions, uh, Joanna Lumley in Curse of Fatal Death, and and there was some, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, I know Big Finish did a few what-ifs for a female Doctor. But again, this is for the first time in the show. This is the first time we've ever had a woman as the Doctor, and boy, uh, that was such a a, uh, a a joyous occasion that everybody liked and no one complained about it. And everyone was holding hands and singing Kubaya as we all rejoiced. And we all bought the world a Coke. Yes. Uh, that, the, the day that promo went online... The world lost their minds. How can the doctor be a woman? The doctor is a man. How dare they? Doctor Who's going woke, man. Really? I mean, and of course, we've we've been friends for ages now. So you remember that at the time, my only problem with it was, why is she dressed like a femme cosplay Wesley Crusher? Bravo to her, because apparently on the costume Jody wanted something that was very like functional she wanted something to be like you know the doctor is an action hero and the doctor is constantly running around and getting into weird situations and stuff like that so she wanted combat boots instead of high heels. She wanted, you know, um, like pants instead of frilly skirts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The doctor tends to wear long coats in a lot of incarnations. So she wanted that, but she wanted it to be like a, a functional coat instead of like a frilly coat, you know? Function over fashion. Yeah. And, I mean, I hate to say it, but this this outfit is more function over fashion, because there really isn't a lot of fashion in this. Yeah, it just, it didn't thrill a lot of people. Like, it did, it's still, I'm still not a fan of the outfit. Like, it's the, 
going to be real. It's the flood pants. Yeah, I think with different pants, maybe it would work. Um, and the the braces, the the suspenders. Yeah, the. Well, you know, I mean, it's not like other doctors haven't worn suspenders. True. And it, suspenders can be fashionable. Even even on a a more feminine body. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, if done right, they can be like a kind of gender neutral, you know, gender queer kind of blending thing. There's a lot of people who pull it off. But the thing is, is that a lot of the clothing is not really like the, the interesting thing is, is that even though the doctor wears quirky clothing, it was always kind of interestingly tailored clothing. You know? Mm-hmm. And this is clearly off the rack. We even see it in the episode. She's buying clothes off the rack. Yeah. Uh, her clothing is very baggy. And I, I can understand that because you don't want... She did, She likely didn't want anything form-fitting. She didn't want to make herself look sexy. She but wasn't... the thing is, is that there's a way to do tailoring without being like... I'm tailoring this for, like, an overly sexy thing. You know? Mm-hmm. There's there's a way to do form-fitting that is not skin-tight. You know? Mm-hmm. You can do on, well, basically on anybody's body, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, in a lot of media... When they do costumes for women, they do very skin-tight, form-fitting, catsuit kind of nonsense, you know? But the doctor is not Emma Peel, you know? We're, mm-hmm. We don't want to go that way with it. But, you know, you wouldn't, like, just look back at Peter Capaldi, you know? Mm-hmm. His clothing is nicely tailored, but his clothing is not as form-fitted as, say, like, David Tennant's. Mm. David Tennant has, like, the very, like, skinny pants and the very, you know, like, he was kind of the sexy boy, you know? Mm. Like, they were playing up the, the good looks of David Tennant, you know? And not to say, I've already said, I find Peter Capaldi, like, a very attractive man, but his stuff was nicely tailored without being, like, extremely form-fitting. You know? Mm-hmm. So you can do that for all kinds of body types without looking and being like, oh, they're doing that to bring out, like, extreme sex appeal and show, like, every, you know. So this does not look like it's been tailored for her. It does look like just something she grabbed off a rack and is a little too baggy. And I know that the costume department, yes, did make these clothes bespoke for Jodie Whittaker. Duh, that's that's the way you do things. But it gives the appearance of 
you know, I grabbed a shirt that's a size too big and I grabbed pants that are two sizes too big. And if I take these suspenders off, they will fall off of me. <laughs> you know, like, you know, the doctor's clothes have always looked out of time, but not out of place on the body. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the 13th doctor's clothes look out of place on the body. And then, you know, spoiler alert for one of the episodes we're going to talk about, of course, but like, then they introduce the fact that this is not the first time the doctor has been incarnated into a female presenting body. And yeah, the fugitive doctor's outfit, perfect. And it's not a sexy, quote unquote, outfit. It is a tailored outfit for that form. But it's not like, you know, it's not Emma Peel. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, look at that. You know, it's an attractive outfit on an attractive person. But it's not meant to play up like overt sex appeal. You believe that is a capable person who also knows how to buy clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, let's let's rip off the other bandaid on this one. This is the one we've kind of been dreading because this is the era of showrunner Chris Chibnall. (sighs) Now, Chris Chibnall has said he's grown up a fan of Doctor Who. We've mentioned him before because he was on television. He was one of the Doctor Who fans as a young man that they brought on to television to air his grievances about the sixth doctor when it was airing it could have been a lot better it could have been slightly better written especially the the last story it was very routine running up and down corridors and silly monsters it was perhaps a little too um routine doctor who very much what the audience is expecting it's not really very challenging for them to watch and let's be honest that clip has come to bite him in the butt I mean, right then, just that clip surfacing should have been like, oh, I'm sorry, you you can't work on Doctor Who anymore. Yeah, and and he's written for Doctor Who in... I'm going to be nice and say some of the most polarizing episodes of the modern era. Ooh, can I not be nice? He's worked on some of the suckiest episodes of Doctor Who and Torchwood ever. And Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, did he write Sarah Jane Adventures too? Yep. Okay. I mean, I, I did watch Sarah Jane Adventures, but I didn't pay as much attention to it as I did Doctor Who and Torchwood. So, yeah. So, yeah. Why was Chris Chibnall chosen to be the new showrunner after Stephen Moffat left? One word, Broadchurch. Broadchurch was the most popular show in the UK at that time. So the BBC says, well, let's get the showrunner of the most popular TV show in in the UK to be the new showrunner of Doctor Who. It'll really revitalize the show. Oh, this guy's a fan of the show, too? Even better. Oh, he's written for the show before. Even better. Okay, I'm going to say something. Broadchurch was the most popular show for two reasons. David Tennant and Olivia Coleman. They put David Tennant and Olivia Coleman in a TV show. 
That that is the reason Broadchurch was big. It's the reason it, you watched it. It's the only reason I watched it. Because it's a, you know, it's one of those like, you know, oh look, there's a mystery. Oh look, the mystery is really, really obvious from the first 20 minutes of the first episode. How many more episodes do we have of this? Oh, like, you know, eight more episodes. Great. That sounds like your average Britbox original TV show. I mean, yeah, basically. I think it's actually on Britbox in the US, to be honest. Like, um, yeah. Uh, someone in my household is obsessed with these things. And so I've kind of watched so many of them. Oh my God, so many of them. And they're all like this and they're all equally boring. Um, and yeah, no, this this was like equally like that. And honestly, Jodie Whittaker was in all three seasons of them and Arthur Darville was in um, all three seasons of it as well. Um, and basically like, it sucks as a mystery, but you get to watch David Tennant and Olivia Coleman and Jodie Whittaker and Arthur Darvill, who are all really good actors. And there's other good actors that pop in and out, you know, like it's got a good cast, but as a story, it sucks. So, yeah, you know? Yeah. So as I mentioned, as you said, Jordy Whitaker was on Broadchurch with yeah, Chris Chibnall worked on. And when it came to casting the 13th Doctor, Chris Chibnall was very adamant about casting a woman as the Doctor because he wanted to do something that hadn't been done. He wanted to make his mark on the show, his own unique spin on it. But Jody Whitaker was not the only woman that he considered for the 13th Doctor. Uh, they wanted Tilda Swinton. I mean, that, that, that would, that would also be fine. That would have been awesome. But with this writing? I mean, any, any doctor was going to crash and burn with Chibnall's writing. That's what sucks so bad about Jodie Whittaker's run. Is that people are always going to be like, well, yeah, but we tried a woman doctor before and you know how much that sucked. But like, I do not care who you cast. Insert your personal favorite actor who can do no wrong. They were going to suck as the doctor with Chibnall in charge. I'm sorry. I will go on record. I will stand up in a court of law and swear on a stack of holy books like anyone would fail with Chibnall running the show. And that's what sucks because I absolutely adore Jodie Whittaker. I have seen her in a lot of other stuff and she is excellent. And honestly... There are a few truly brilliant moments in her run as the Doctor where you can see her break through and go, oh man, if she had had, like, decent writing, she would have absolutely just slayed this. 
Can you imagine her with Davies writing or Moffat writing? Imagine her with like, you know, a gaming episode or something like that. Yeah. I mean, God, that would just absolutely kill. But yeah, no, I mean, basically anybody else who's written for the series during the new run could have done just amazing things with her. But then they they gave Chibnall the overarching thing. And I know that we're going to talk about the fact that, like, okay, you know, there were other people writing the show and everything. But the way that Doctor Who works is that the showrunner really does have a lot of input. Final say. Yeah, uh, and you can tell it, especially in the Chibnall run, because some of the the writers that that work on it are they're not bad writers, but for some reason, it's less than. And there's a reason for that. In that Chibnall wanted, like I said, he wanted to put his mark on the show. He had an entire brand new writing team. None of the writers up to this point were staying on. It was a whole new writing team. And it shows because these were people who had not written for Doctor Who. And there was a lot of backstage drama that a lot of these writers quit before they could submit a final draft. Resulting in Chibnall having to write the final draft. Some of them were quitting because, shocker, he never told them he was hiring a woman to be the doctor. You don't treat your writing staff like that. Honestly, I don't really know why it should matter. It shouldn't, but... Where if you're going to have it, it's it's more of a trust issue between uh, executive producer and the writers. That's my issue with it. It, it. it shouldn't matter, but it's more, in my personal opinion, a trust issue. You're already starting off this relationship on a bad foot. Yeah, I and we've mean... seen that. We've seen that before. The writer when when Colin Baker was hired to be the doctor. Nobody knew it was going to be him, and a lot of the writers already did not want to write for him in the, in the first place. So there was already a antagonistic relationship between showrunner and writers. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say that, like, I don't know. If you can... I mean, I hate... Uh, well, I don't hate it. I love going back to Neil Gaiman. But if Neil Gaiman can write an entire episode for David Tennant and then they go like, oh, we have to delay that a year. You have to rewrite it for Matt Smith. And he can do that. Then, like, you can write a script for an unknown doctor and then just change the pronouns. like. It wasn't like they were writing it for, like, Peter Capaldi, who they'd already seen as the Doctor. 
And then they were like, oh, you have to write it for a completely different actor now. Like, no, they were just like, write a spec script for insert unknown actor here who you don't know how they're going to play the doctor at all. Oh, now it's a woman. Like, at that point, you don't know how the actor is going to play the doctor. All you have to do is just change the companions, you know, saying she instead of he. Mm -hmm. Because that seems to be what happened. So, I don't really get why that would be such a big deal, you know? Like, if you're writing it for the voice of, like, one particular doctor, because each doctor has their own quirks, in the middle of, like, one story arc, and then you have to rework it, that's very difficult. But if it's just, like, you know, write generic Doctor Who episode, and we don't know kind of how they're going to play the Doctor, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's a bit different because you kind of just leave spaces for the quirks to go in. So and, and at that point, it's a little bit a little bit different. But I will say that Jodie has always said that she had fun doing the show. And uh, her own words were it's the first time she ever got to just play herself in a role and not play a, a character. So it, that, that to me says she at least had fun being the doctor. As much as a fan, I would want the, 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 the good writing if the performer is still satisfied with what happened, with the performance and how everything turned out. <laughs> at least we don't have an issue like we did with Eccleston where it took him a long time to... Um, warm back up to the fans mm -hmm. at least um and we're now at the point where he'll he'll do like a convention or something but he he does not want anything to do with the show <laughs> um, yeah, and jody says she wants to come back is you know we're recording this uh about a week before the the 60th and just like a week ago she was out and she did an interview and she's like yeah i'll come back i'll come back whenever they want me to come back so at least she is very excited about the about that possibility, and I, I would love to see that happen. I I said this before with Colin Baker and with Paul McGann, how doing the Big Finish audios has revitalized those characters, and has made those doctors favorable. Uh, they, they've become somebody's favorite doctor. I know the Eighth Doctor is one of my favorite because of those audios. I can't wait till Jodie Whittaker does Big Finish, if she chooses to, because her doing the Doctor with that level of writing is is would be the perfect rehabilitation of the 13th Doctor to a lot of people. I, I would love for her to be able to come back and have some sort of redemption. <laughs> as in her in her place as the doctor um away from chibnall because i really really want want her to get her due if she hadn't become pregnant i would have loved to see her in the 60th yeah um 
but I, I just, I, I really hate that I, I feel she did not get to, to have a good run at it because mm-hmm. I was so excited for her. I like her so much as an actor and I, I, I wanted this to work out better than it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really loved her. Like even in, in stuff like attack the block and everything, mm-hmm. you know, like she's so good. You know, I knew her. I think that that was probably the first thing I saw her in was attack the block. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, also the first thing I saw John Boyega in. Um, and it's such a good movie, and she's so good in it. And it was like, oh man, you know. And she did like one of the like a really good episode of Black Mirror, which I loved. Um, pretty much everything else that she's been in that's not been Chibnall related, I've loved her in. Mm. but it's like come come on (laughs) i really i really want i really want to see her come come back again and just get like one really banger episode where she properly gets to be the doctor in like a crossover episode or something I mean, they are filming uh, Trudy Gottwood's second season, Crush Fingers, maybe. Maybe we can get, like, a Two Doctors episode with him and Jody. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening, but I will love to see it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's kind of talk about the, the other members of the fam, the Team TARDIS. Because we've got legendary actor Bradley Welsh as Graham, who practically is stealing the show in every scene he's in because he's just that good he can he is able to take chicken scratch and turn it into chicken salad that's a skill very few actors have yeah i mean he had kind of an interesting background because he he was a footballer Mm -hmm. and then he was he like went into comedy and stuff and he uh did coronation street for a while which is like you know huge in the uk so um he was a host of like wheel of fortune at one point in the uk so he was like their pat sajak for a while um and like a couple of other uh game shows over there um and he also a singer like do less dude <laughs> and, and, and Graham himself the character is a unique one because I, this has to be a first because this is the first time we've had a a senior citizen as a companion on the TARDIS a full-time companion yeah and the interesting thing was, you know, how he ended up on the show, I kind of didn't like. I had a problem with this team TARDIS. 
So the the kind of original team TARDIS for the thirteenth Doctor was we've got Graham, we've got his step grandson, step yeah. step grandson Ryan, and then we've got Yaz, Ryan's childhood friend. Yeah, if. There was, like, a Team TARDIS that I possibly liked the least in the run of the show. This is probably it. There's just too many people in the TARDIS. It's not too many people in the TARDIS, in my opinion. It's that only one of them is the correct person to be in the TARDIS, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got nothing against Bradley Walsh. He is a good actor, and I like him. But we start the first Doctor's first episode off with we've got Ryan, his grandma, and Graham. Okay? And and Ryan and Graham are not seeing eye to eye because his grandma remarried. A white man. Yeah. So, you know, Ryan and his grandma, black, and Graham, white man. Uh, Grandma has remarried Graham, and Graham and Ryan don't see eye to eye, and, you know, okay. Uh, Ryan is an interesting character. He's got some, like, learning disabilities. He's got some... Physical uh, disabilities. Physical disabilities. He's an interesting character. Good choice for Team TARDIS. I'm, I'm digging Ryan. Ryan for Team TARDIS. Yes, A plus. Good character. Okay. Graham is like, you know, he's the curmudgeon that just kind of gets dragged along and he's only there because in the first episode, the interesting character who belongs in Team TARDIS, aka the grandma who is super down for adventure and is interesting, witty, smart. She's a badass. A badass. Like, she is down for it. She gets killed in the dumbest way possible. I mean, the doctor died the same way. The fourth doctor died the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really dumb. It like how they how they they're just like okay we need a reason for Graham and Ryan to be in Team Tardis. Let's fridge the grandma. Let's fridge the grandma who is a much better companion than technically either Graham or Ryan. But Grandma and Ryan would have been a baller team for Team Tardis. Okay. And so I basically spent like an entire season just hating Graham because I wanted Grandma. Grandma was amazing. Grandma is in like half an episode and made more impact on me than Graham did in like what two seasons or however long he's in this thing. And they kind of throw it in your face by having her come back as a ghost in a few episodes. Yeah. It's it's not great. It's not great what they did to her, and I blame Chibnall as I do all things. Um, the other thing is Yaz. 
Yaz is a cop. And they forget about that nine times out of ten in the show. But I don't. One of the best things they did with the Twelfth Doctor is there's an episode where, like, the Twelfth uh, Doctor is, like, there's, like, a character who's like, oh, my God, Doctor, please let me come in the TARDIS and travel with you. This seems like the coolest thing ever. And the Doctor's like, okay, yeah, you seem like a fine person or whatever, but you are a career soldier. And no. Now, I know people are going to be like, well, what about Jamie? He was like a Highland soldier or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, but in the time that Jamie is from, Jamie was not a career soldier. He was fighting in the military at the time because there was a war going on. I'm not I'm not sure we get much more about Jamie's background because Doctor Who wasn't really like that at the time. If we had dug really into Jamie's background in the episodes, it's probably like, well, I was a farmer or a blacksmith or whatever, and then war were declared and I had to go fight. Because that's how armies worked at the time for most places. Like, standing militaries are relatively modern for you to be a career soldier. Like, it it's very rare for soldier to be a job in most cultures throughout history. Like, that was a very rare job. Okay? In, in the way we think of it now. Where that's just, like, your career and you do that for 30 years or so and then you retire as a soldier, you know? Um, so that that's what the doctor was meaning. Like, you have made this your life's work and that's not down with me. One regeneration. Oh, you're a cop? Come on. This regeneration changed a lot of the doctor's personality and not all for the best. Yeah, we're 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 going to get into that as we get more into and the, the, thing, the, the thing, yeah, yeah. But one, I'll say one more thing before about yes before we really get into the episode is that she is a cop. Yes, they should have taken advantage of that. She's a police officer, so it's, she is essentially Judy Hopps at the beginning of Zootopia. You know, she wants to join the police force to make a difference, and they have her doing tickets. She is yeah, because she's th- she's a probationary police officer, and she's nineteen years old. But m- my point is that if she, you know, she's this, I, I can make a difference. I became a cop to help people. So uh, you would think that she would be very hard nosed, by the book, police officer, rule of law, and you have the doctor who's always been this. I will do what's right, even if it's not legal. And the clash between those two would have been very good. We did not get that. Because someone, him, him, uh, kind of forgot that that was the doctor's personality. One more. We mentioned it last week. Gotta mention it this week. Let's rip the band-aid off on Thasmin. 
You mentioned last week, Kiki, that it should be the fans that decide the relationships. Should the, if the if the fans see that the doctor and the companion are in a romantic relationship, let that stay in the fans' minds. Oh, did the fans go wild over Thasman? Like, if you watch these early episodes, it's very clear that the writing is trying to get Ryan and Yaz together. Because they're the childhood friends. Every time they visit each other's family, they're like, oh, when are you two going to get married? When are you two going to start dating? And they're like, no, no, we're not. We're not doing that at all. There's a very will they, won't they during those first, during the first half of this first season. And they completely drop it. When the fan reaction is, no, yeah, should be with the doctor. And then even Chibnall himself has said that was never his plan. Fasman was never the end game. It's just the fans wanted it and he gave it to them. Though a lot of people would call that queer baiting. I don't know. Forgive me for saying the phrase, but that is the word that seems to be uh, used when describing Phasmin as it was the res- as the result of it. Yeah, I'm. The thing is, is that I am okay with companions being like, oh, the the doctor is such an amazing person, and I have kind of a crush on them. I'm sort of okay with that mm-hmm. because honestly. The Doctor is this kind of mythological demigod kind of figure. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor has, for a very long time, like at least since the fourth Doctor, been this kind of whirlwind figure that comes into your life and is very charming. And is very, you know, like, let me take you away on all these adventures and show you the boundaries of the universe and whatever. And then kind of, you know, you're suddenly back home and you're like, I mean, it really is akin to, like, going off on holiday somewhere and meeting, like, a really hot dude and he like takes you to all the like you know like here let me show you the Eiffel Tower and let me show you the Arc de Triomphe and let me buy you a bunch of really good wine and you know maybe you have a little fling and then like you forget to get his number or his social media account or whatever and you lost him forever. Oh, no, he was the love of your life, I'm sure, if you just got back together. You know, but in reality, it was never going to work out anyway, and you were always just destined for, like, a quick holiday fling, you know? He was probably married anyway. <laughs> yeah, he was probably married anyway, you know? um, It's kind of like the cosmic version of that, you know? But... I'm okay with, like, companions being like, oh, this dude changed my life, and I'm sure it would have just worked out if he'd only seen how great we would have been together or whatever. Because that's kind of like, this is an experience like none other. This is like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know? Like, anybody's going to have their head turned by that. Mm -hmm. Okay? I get how, like, 
poor lone like poor lowly human is going to have those feelings. But for the doctor, this is, you know, same shit, different day, right? The doctor falling in love never ends well for anyone, even himself, herself. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, for and Romana, Romana, for and Romana, Romana ends up in a different universe. <laughs> Five and Nissa. Nissa goes off to be a nurse in another in another world. Uh, we don't really get anything up until the eighth doctor and uh, the, excuse me, the uh, yeah the eighth doctor is the dashing romantic doctor who kisses his companions and they you know they have to depart and then you of course you get to the modern era with Tennant and and Smith having their little flings with their companions. Thank good. I mean, and then you get Capaldi, who still has those feelings from when he was the 11th Doctor, who doesn't really know how to what to do with them because clearly Clara no longer has an interest in him because he's an old man. We talked about that last week. But with 13, she seemed to be the most asexual of all of the modern era Doctors. That's kind of good. Like, that's like, again, I don't mind the Doctor dancing, but I kind of want the Doctor dancing with, like, the guest star of the week. Mm. And I want anything else to be, like, you know, I want to joke about Two and Jamie being married, but I don't want that to be canon. Mm. The thing about it is it just it comes out of nowhere in the show. That was my only complaint. That's no too. There's yeah. no setup. All of the setup is on Tumblr and on Twitter from fans saying that they want Thasmin to be a thing. That's the setup. And then it just comes out of nowhere. Oh, yes, you should tell the doctor how you feel. Wait, when did this happen? When did Yasmin had any feelings for the doctor? When has Yasmin any had any, any implication that she even liked girls? It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. That's my only complaint about it. The thing is, is that I think we need to talk, and this is going to come up again when we dive deep into the particular episodes for today. People cannot decide if Chibnall is the most woke or the most conservative. Yeah. And if anything, he's the most centrist. Yeah, and that that's the problem is that Chibnall is neither. Chibnall is the most blandly centrist ever. So here's kind of how it it susses out here. Is that Chibnall is very much for whatever the current status quo is. And it goes all the way back to that young guy that's screaming on the <laughs> the what do fans think about current Doctor Who? Okay? Is that he he kind of wants 
whatever the current status quo is. And you can dip a toe here or there into, you know, like, oh, we can we can move the line just a little bit, but not too much. And they had already set up, you know, Davies had already set up putting queer characters in Doctor Who. So that had already been broken. So suddenly Yaz going like, okay, apparently I am either bisexual or lesbian, and we've never discussed that before, and I am deeply in love with a doctor who is a woman. Okay, we've already kind of broached that before because we've had companions who are into women, you know? We've had lesbian companions before. We just had Bill. Yeah, we just had Bill. We've also had lesbian couples because we've just talked about the Paternoster gang. You know, we're fine. You know, we've had, you know, pansexual Jack Harkness. We've had the doctor already kind of also being pansexual because the the doctor has flirted with Jack as well. And has admitted that he at one point had a crush on the master. Yeah. And they were in school together. Yeah, when they were presumably both in male bodies. Okay. So, you know. Um, and Missy also confirmed that those feelings ran back the other direction, you know. Mm. A lot of that had already been broken by either Davies or Moffat when they were running the show. Um, so those are already established status quo. That's not Chibnall being woke. That's just Chibnall doing Doctor Who at that point. Um, having a woman as the Doctor, well, technically Moffat had already broken that because he's the one that wrote Curse of the Fatal Death which a lot of fans for the longest time just kind of considered that canonical until because until we got the revival yeah yeah until we got the revival that kind of was you know Rowan Atkinson was the ninth doctor yeah I mean that that was you know most fans just kind of considered that and then even once the show came back, it was kind of semi-canonical, you know? <laughs> like I Most mean, fans it, it, wanted that to be canonical. In both instances, we have the 13th Doctor is a blonde-haired woman. Yeah. Um, and so that's really just sort of fulfillment of prophecy. So it's not really him being super woke, you know? Um... Maybe the bit with the fugitive doctor, uh, maybe a little woke black woman. Uh, okay. I mean, you people know? are saying the same thing about Judy Godwa as a black man being too woke. And yeah, I mean, aired. people are going to say that. Aired, yeah, the episodes haven't even aired yet. Get a grip, guys. He's also a queer man. Ooh. Um, but, you know... 
if you look at, and we are, if you look at the actual storylines and the way that the doctor acts and the morals of the story, who boy are they pretty conservative? All right. We've been doing this for an hour. Let's actually get into it. Let's rip that open. Kerblam! Hey, remember when we talked about oxygen and the doctor defeated capitalism? Now the doctor is defending capitalism. It turns out it's not capitalism that's the problem. It's how people use it. Ugh. What happened to you, doctor? What happened that made you change your view so much? I mean, just because the doctor wears a rainbow on her shirt doesn't make her hardcore liberal. <laughs> so let's kind of let's kind of get the the point of this here. So apparently Kerblam can deliver a package in the time vortex but can't deliver a package on time because the episode starts with the TARDIS in the time vortex. And this teleportation beam is following them, and it's the Kerblam Man, a delivery service. Space Amazon. It's Space Amazon. That's a, It's Space Amazon. Yeah, I mean, they, they can't say the name, but everything about this is 100% Amazon. So it's Space Amazon. She's getting her delivery. And it's a fez. Um, the 11th Doctor said he was going to buy a fez when the universe rebooted. Uh, overnight shipping my buttocks. I guess he doesn't have Kerblam Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the Doctor finally gets that fez he ordered a thousand years ago. But it comes with a note saying, help me. So they go to the Kerblam main warehouse, which is has taken over an entire moon of a, of a planet. This entire moon is one warehouse of Kerblam. You will recognize this from uh, the most recent season of Futurama, where yeah. they just built the fulfillment center on the moon. And uh, yeah. So the so the so so Team Tardis has infiltrated as 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 new employees of 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 Kerblam, trying to figure out who sent this message and why. So we get our our, our big thing here is that Kerblam is fully automated. They don't need humans to do anything. So why are they having humans there when the robots and the machines can essentially manage themselves and they get this one one um one character who says a new law has passed on their planet that all businesses must be at least 10% human to allow humans to you know provide for their families so 10% of the staff at Kerblam are human beings organics Organic. We got it. We got to use the lingo. Yeah, ten percent are organic beings that can work at Kerblam. 
but they're still trying to figure out that people keep on disappearing within Kerblam. Employees are just not showing up. They go into certain sections of the, the facility. They never come out. And the and the uh, the other employees are noticing this. Like, yeah, you don't want to go in that section. No one ever comes out. So what's the whole thing is that we find out that at least it's the setup is that it looks like Kerblam is killing their employees. Like again, if you're just watching this as it's originally airing, that's what that's the that, at least that's what the episode is trying to tell you. At least during the first half of this thing is that. Kerblam is trying to kill off their employees to become fully automated. At least, again, that's my interpretation of the first half of this episode. But things get off the rails when the higher-ups of Kerblam are, like, are going, no, we have no idea what's going on here. We, 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 we've been keeping tabs on it, trying not to let the public know what's going on, because we, we, it'll make the company look bad if our employees are, are, are getting killed, but we want to know why they're getting killed, too. So then we get, do we just go into it? Just go straight to the thing here? Because the first two thirds of this episode are really interesting, really intriguing, and a really great concept. And then the third act kind of goes, wait, what? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that the first chunk of this episode is awesome. It is one of the best setups because basically this is Doctor Who not even satirizes. This is just what if Doctor Who got a job in an Amazon fulfillment center and it is as horrifying as that sounds. It is. They've got like. The little like. Prison ankle bracelets on. That monitors their ever, every move. They are. Under extreme deadlines. To and get things done. And if you talk yeah. to a co-worker. The robots come up and like tell you to stop talking to the coworker. Um, the word union is brought up, but it is said in a way that is almost disparaging, as opposed to the way it was said in Oxygen, where it was like, "Oh, the union has come to save us." You know, it was like, "Wait, you're not one of those like union agitators," you know, like Lee Max says it in one line and the way he says it is almost like oh my goodness if you mention the word union you're gonna get us in trouble and we're all gonna be fired and you're like please tell me you're not one of those crazies you know like it's it's the way he says it you know like do not let the robots hear you say the word union you know like which is very much how amazon is you know like like you know it's very much this veneer of you hear the 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 voiceovers that's all like, you know, welcome to another happy shift at Kerblam or whatever. You know, it's like, it's so, like, horrifically dystopian. 
And I'm like, and yet they could have just filmed this in an Amazon fulfillment center because except for the like peeing in bottles, everything else is just like a day in the life. I was going to mention that. <laughs> yeah. No, and and honestly, the only reason that I think the peeing in bottles isn't in here is one kids show and two, this episode was made, I think, before that hit the news. Mm. The first like two thirds of this episode, you're right, is just basically like how horrific it is to work in this ultra automated late capitalism. And for anybody who has one of these jobs, our hearts are with you. Stay strong. Join a union. Um, if, even the boss is walking around belittling employees, say, hey, don't talk back to me. I can get rid of you in one second. And the doctor yeah. kind of steps up saying, hey, respect is a two-way street. If you want your respect from your coworker, from your employees, you got to show them respect first. If the doctor had said that in the actual Amazon factor, uh, Amazon center, she would have been gone. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I really kind of wanted that to be the thing. Like, I really wanted her to get fired, like, right then. Because in reality, that's what would happen. Um, The... The thing is, though, is that also, though, that's also kind of propaganda that, like, you know, well, a manager that shows respect for their employees is going to get respect. But it's like, I mean, yeah, it's better than treating your employees like crap. But also, in that system, there's always going to be a very horrific power differential. Like, they have control over your life, you know? We see that, like, well, only 10% of the human population is employed at any given time, which means that You are infinitely replaceable. 90% of the population doesn't have the job. And also, these are not quote-unquote skilled labor positions. They say that these are jobs that are infinitely repetitive tasks that the robots can and should be doing. These are not jobs that require like a human brain. You know, it is pick up thing, put it in box, move box down line, you know. But because of because humans fought back because they needed money to live. eh, You know, that's this is the jobs they fought for just so that they could, you know, Lee Mack's character is one of the best in this episode. Um, 
shout out to Lee Mack, who apparently just wanted to be on Doctor Who, I guess. Because <laughs> he's in this episode. Like, his entire thing probably took, like, half a day of filming. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's just the guy that's there to, you know, he... He go. He has a daughter. He's trying to be a good dad. He took this crap job so that he can save up basically every penny. Because the moon is also a company town. Like, you live at your job. You eat at your job. You have to pay... For a shuttle to go back and visit your family. You know. Which is insane. Because they have the ability to teleport. The Kerblam Man delivery robot. Anywhere in space. And apparently time. Yeah. Into the time vortex. Inside the TARDIS. Which we know has shields to prevent that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the employees have to pay a premium to get on a slow shuttle to go back to visit their families. Which it seems a lot of them basically can't afford to do because they're saving up money to send to their families to keep them alive. Um, and so, he says that it cost him his marriage. Yeah, and he's just trying to save up money so that she can have an education. So that maybe she can be part of the 10% of the workforce that gets a better job, I guess. Mm. Um, and the, the thing is, is that he, um, you know, he ends up dying because of the villain quote unquote's plan, but you you feel bad for him because he's he's genuinely trying to do right by his daughter. Yeah, he shows off that necklace that says dad that her that his daughter made for him. Yeah. But the the thing is is like we we find out that like Basically, all of the humans who seem shifty are, they're just trying to get along as best they can in this system. It's the system that is making them shifty. You know, the doctor thinks like, oh, it's the manager because he seems so awful. Well, the reason he seems awful is because he's a manager. And he literally has to deal with all of these murders happening under his watch. Yeah, and he's trying to figure out why all these people are dying, but he also doesn't want to freak out the rest of the workforce, you know? And the reason he hasn't told the human resource woman, who also seems shifty, but she seems shifty because she's the human resource woman. <laughs> she works for the company that is doing all the, you know, like, human resource people work for the company. They're not the worker friend they're the company friend that's why she seems shifty when they come in as workers it's because she's projecting the company line not the worker line you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. and so when the manager is like well i'm not exactly sure whose side you're on 
Like, yeah, even management doesn't know who HR works for. Like, mm. <laughs> you know? And so, like, of course everybody seems shifty in this system because everyone's just trying to survive this system. And then, of course, the quote-unquote villain... Charlie. Charlie, who it's like, it's, this is the MCU villain problem. We've talked about the MCU villain problem where, like, they write the villain and then they realize, like, oh, the villain is actually correct. Better have them do a bunch of random murders so that you, the, the people have a reason to go, like, Oh, I guess we should have the hero stop them. That's Charlie. Yeah, Charlie is one hundred percent correct, and then he just does a whole bunch of random murder so that you go like, "Oh, I guess the doctor better stop him because he's a terrorist now." He says he's an activist. He's he's fighting for the ninety percent of workers that can't get a job because this this company will only hire. 10% of the human population because that is the minimum that is the minimum that the law will let them have if the company would if if they could hire zero humans they would but the law says they have to have 10% so that's what they have so he's going to sh- Completely ruin Kerbland's reputation, send out these exploding packages to all customers to ruin Kerblam so that possibly they would have to hire more human people because they wouldn't be able to afford maintenance on all of their robots. Well, and also the robots probably would be exploded in the same explosion Mm -hmm. i think that was probably what he was hoping because he has all of the robots and they're going to go out at once so all the robots that work in the factory are going to be destroyed all of the customer base is going to be killed it's going to ruin kablam's reputation because he wants nothing now the laws aren't changing fast enough for the population he's 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 trying to look out for lack of a better term he's looking out for the little little guy the little guy being 90 percent of the population that just need to provide for their families and can't because this company which seems to be the main company supplier uh the main job provider of this world on this moon just doesn't really want to hire humans it's it's kiki you live in a small town so this is the 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 analogy i'm gonna go with you're living in a small town what's gonna be one of the biggest providers likely walmart now if actually that is one of the largest employers in my small town okay great Walmart. we have a massive fulfillment center in my small town and it is walmart yes so if walmart decides to go completely automated your town is screwed yeah, I mean, we we would lose a massive amount of of jobs if they completely automated the fulfillment center in our town. Yeah, and that's kind of the same thing. Only now it's affecting an entire planet. 
it's Amazon's big warehouse that takes up the size of a moon that is very likely the biggest employer of people on this on the planet below and they're only hiring 10% of the population. 10% of the population in the world have jobs. Not just 10% of the workforce at Kerbland, but 10% of the workforce in the world on, on that planet below. And he wants to change that. He just wants people to be able to provide for their families. And he's going to use Kerblam as an example. Yeah, the thing is, though, is that here's the here's the thing. This is one of those like, you know, the villain is right. The villain just has the wrong plan. Because in order to make him like the villain. His plan is he's going to send all of these. This explosive bubble wrap, which I, I have to admit, that's a brilliant idea. Um, That is the one kind of like innovative thing in this episode is that the bubble wrap is explosive. <laughs> like, because what does everybody do when they get a package? Like you take out the you bubble wrap, the bubble you, play wrap with yeah. the, you play with the bubble wrap. Um, but he is going to take out innocent customers like, I mean, if we're taking the Amazon thing to its natural conclusion, just like the Walmart thing, small towns are being destroyed. I mean, you know, mine among them. Walmart destroyed small towns because there were a lot of like mom and pop stores and smaller chains and stuff that were unique and i mean walmart is a southern company um they started in arkansas and they spread throughout the south and then throughout the u.s um but they took out a lot of like local and regional chains first and a lot of like complete mom and pop stores that were just in one location um by undercutting you know what the local places could sell or stocking more things than the local places could sell and the thing is is that when you live in a area with a lot of poverty you've got to go where the cheaper option is like mm -hmm. people go like oh well you got to vote with your dollars or whatever if you want the mom and pop stores to survive it doesn't matter how much you love the mom and pop store you know if the mom and pop store has it for three dollars and walmart has it for a dollar twenty five you have to go to Walmart. Poor people do not have that option. You know, rich people can vote with their dollars. Poor people have to scrimp every penny. Mm -hmm. So Walmart has the edge, you know, Walmart had the edge everywhere. The thing with Amazon is like, if you need something and you cannot find it locally, or you need something very quickly. 
you have to go with Amazon because it is the cheapest and the fastest because Bezos can afford to take that loss to corner the market and drive everyone else out of business until that he is the only option left. Yep. So that's what what I'm assuming happened with Kerblam is that people did not have another option, you know? And so that's that's how it it cornered the market and that's how the the job market got so bad and that's how they became like the only employer. Uh, to where you get to, like, we need 10% human, you know, workforce. But what I hate about Charlie's plan is that he's planning to just send this weaponized bubble wrap out to random customers. Just anybody who orders from Kerblam. Now, the problem is the people who order from Kerblam do not have a choice, probably, to order from anywhere else. Especially if they're on the planet below. That's their only option. It's the rural town where Walmart is the only store left. Okay? So he's murdering people who just need... Something. Something. Maybe it's food, maybe it's a household item, toilet paper, whatever... And you're murdering them for a political point. What he needed to do was almost basically what the doctor does at the end of the episode. She reprograms the Kerblam men to deliver the packages inside Kerblam, open it, and, you know, basically detonate themselves. Charlie, we know from earlier in the episode, knows the entire infrastructure of that fulfillment center. Only 10% of the, you know, units or whatever in there are actual living people. He knows, like, how to drain the power where everybody gets sent to the break room. We see that happen at one point in the episode. Mm -hmm. So why not have that triggered? Send the Kerblam men to key infrastructure points and say, deliver the packages here at this time. Open them. You're the recipient. And then pop the bubble wrap. Also, he is the custodian. He could easily lock up block certain areas saying hey there's a giant spill here i have to clean it up you can't go over here yeah but but you see what i'm saying you could yeah. easily take out like actual infrastructure points in this place shut down the fulfillment center without hurting humans stopping the ability for this fulfillment center to work which would then harm Kerblam as a company because suddenly they can't deliver anything. They've lost all of their robots. Only the humans are left. And then you have Kerblam realize like, oh, somebody can just program our robots to self-destruct 
and take out our infrastructure. You know who couldn't do that? A bunch of humans. You can't just program hundreds of thousands of humans to, you know? Yeah. Like, that's a much harder thing to do is to get a you know several hundred thousand humans to do that and they they further push him to villainy by having the system itself kill his little girlfriend and then he said i don't care about she that she's dead i'm gonna do this anyway yeah which i think is another thing to try to make him the villain like he doesn't care that you know she's dead you know, it, it doesn't trigger his empathy. Like, you know, they're the doctor's trying to tell him, like, that thing you're feeling, that's how people are going to feel when they're, you know... When they lose someone, they When lie. they lose somebody. And he's like, I don't care, you know. And I'm like, no, you have the right point. You are correct. His entire point is this system needs to come down because it's hurting humans. And he's partially right. The point isn't that humans need work. The point is that humans need, like, to be able to survive without having to, you know, pay survival tokens for the, the you know. Like, pay for the air they breathe. Yeah. I mean, see, the doctor had it right, you know, like... The doctor was like, and that was the end of capitalism in space. Let's all eat cake and have uh, confetti. And, you know, like the, 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 the doctor before had it correct. You know, 12th doctor had it correct. 13th doctor is like, capitalism is not the problem. Evil people using capitalism wrong is not the problem. I'm like, okay, libertarian doctor, shut up. <laughs> Uh, Went from a liberal to a libertarian. That's not a, not a, that's not a good mm, diet Republican doctor. No, twelfth doctor leftist, thirteenth doctor American style libertarian. Yeah, <laughs> boy, how the mighty have fallen. Internationally a centrist. But the um, but that yeah, that's that's the problem. Is it's like. This episode was two-thirds a good episode because it laid out the problem perfectly. And then one guy is like, I have figured out the problem. The solution is to just kill the customers? And the thing is, the the one that calls out for help is the system. Yeah, capitalism itself is like, please save me. I'm just poor little capitalism. Come help me, doctor. And like, no. The doctor should have gotten there and been like, oh, oh, capitalism wanted help? <laughs> Everybody back in the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> like, she should have been like, she should have sat the guy down and been like, okay, here's some notes on Praxis. Practice is a different episode. We didn't, we're not covering that this week. <laughs> Cute. No. Uh, but, you know, like, she she should have, like, you know, given him, like, a, 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 quickie, a quickie guide to proper revolutionary tactics. But, like, we're, it's just like, no, you're targeting the wrong people. 
Like, who's the CEO of Kerblam? Deliver him a package. <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, but that's a, my problem with most of the 13th Doctor episodes. They're all two-thirds a good episode. Yeah, it's a really good setup, followed by... Eh? Speaking of which... Fugitive of the Jadoon. We said we were going to talk about all of the modern era Doctors. And we mentioned her before, but let's get into the Fugitive Doctor. The Doctor that... Man, if you thought the 13th Doctor being a woman caused some, caused some hatred online. Oh, hey, guess what? There's Doctors before William Hartnell. You know what? I do not care that there is a woman Doctor. I do not care that there is a black woman Doctor. I do care that the timeless children... Doctors before William Hartnell storyline makes no freaking sense. Yeah, okay. Remember, if you can go back to my seventh Doctor episode, I talked about the Cormel master plan. In the end, you are merely another Time Lord! Oh, Davros. I am far more than just another Time Lord. And uh, even back in the fourth Doctor era, there was this implication that there were other Doctors before William Hartnell. How long have you lived, Doctor? How far, Doctor? How long have you lived? Uh, Brains of Morbius, that's the name of the episode. So Chris Chibble decided, I'm going to take all of that and make that actual canon. By implying that the Doctor has been multiple Time Lords. And not only that, but the Doctor has infinite regenerations. And the Doctor isn't even a Time Lord. The Doctor is a being from another dimension that can just regenerate. And this is how the Time Lords got regeneration in the first place. And, 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 and... <sighs> I understand what Chibnall was trying to do because he wanted, much like the Cornell Master Plan, trying to inject more mystery into the Doctor. And all it did was like, we now know who the Doctor's mother, we now know the name of the Doctor's mother. That hasn't given us more mystery, it's taken away mystery. Yeah, you know what? If you think you know what Chibnall was trying to do here, you are one step ahead of me. Good job, my friend. Yeah, it's just... And Joe Martin is great. And I love it. Joe Martin. Oh my goodness, Joe Martin is just such a badass. She gets it. Like, yeah. it, it feels like she should have been the 13th Doctor. Love Jodie Whittaker. But if we had more of the fugitive, if if the thirteenth Doctor acted more like the fugitive Doctor, the more no nonsense with the glasses and that pure purple suit, and it's just 
you know what? She should have been some doctor. Not the fugitive doctor, timeless to children. Do- do- she but- just should have been a doctor in the time in the timeline. She should have been a regeneration of the doctor. I would have even gone, especially since it's not too far. This is one year before flux. Have it that the flux just opened a a portal from another dimension, and she's just an alternate universe doctor. You already get rid of so much problems, but I'm pretty sure Chibnall did nothing that far ahead. You know what? She's like a uh, they run into like maybe Rose and Handy run into uh, a doctor in whatever universe they're stuck in and the flux opens up and the three of them are just like hey what's up we're here for an episode <laughs> yeah that would have been nice we found our universe's doctor and here she is and it's Joe Martin yeah, that would have been fun. The idea that the Doctor pre Hartnell already calls themselves the Doctor and already has the TARDIS that looks like a police box doesn't make sense. Yeah, none of that makes sense. Oh my goodness. You're supposed to be like a massive fanboy, you weirdo. Why are you doing this? I'm okay with pre-Hartnell doctors. I'm okay with that. It's just, why are you calling yourself the doctor? Why does your TARDIS look like a police box? If it was a different thing it was stuck at, and she was calling herself a different name, then they reveal, oh, we're both the same. You're me, I'm you. How is that possible? I can buy that. And you can do whatever the hell you want to do. But pre-Hartnell doctor calling themselves the doctor makes no sense. Yeah, I'm the agent or something. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm the warrior. I'm the professor. I'm the whatever. And here's my TARDIS in the shape of... A gray tube. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't even have to be, you know, whatever. Whatever you want it to be. But, yeah, I mean, I get what they were trying to do, but it just doesn't work. It felt like like Chibnall was more concerned with how many words he can rhyme with Jadoon. Well, you know, that's kind of the only part of the episode I liked, because it was a callback. Jadoon on the moon. But, but the, now- funny, the funny thing is, is it was kind of adorable when, when David Tennant did it, because he has that funny way of you know he almost slips back into his Scottish accent for that Mm -hmm. and I don't think that Jody kind of understood what made that so funny it's the fact that they keep going back to it throughout the entire episode a platoon of of Jadoon by the moon a platoon of Jadoon by a lagoon in June at noon what are the Jadoon? Yes, we mentioned didn't mention that. So yeah, the Jadoon are the space police. They are these rhino head aliens. 
They first made their appearance in the 10th Doctor episode, Smith and Jones. They are the intergalactic police force. They look like rhino-headed aliens and apparently do not have jurisdiction on the planet Earth. Well, the thing is, though, is that this is another one where you can tell, like, the annoyingly centrist bit of Chibnall. And also the fact that all these people are British mm-hmm. and apparently have never set foot in not Europe. Because the doctor has that point of, like, oh, they're, like, space police. And Yaz is like, oh, they're police? And she's like, yeah, but, like, really trigger-happy and for sale. And I'm like, yeah, we know what police are. Yeah. And they, again, this is one of the few episodes where they remember that Yaz is a cop. Yeah, I mean, the thing is is like you can kind of you can kind of understand why the 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 doctor you know has that idea cuz it's like, you know, the doctor mostly deals with British police. <laughs> but and and Yasmin is also like, "Oh, yeah, I was going to be one of those. Let's, you know, go over there and try to be like cop to cop and then of course like the idea of her being a cop doesn't actually like really play into it because like, she's I, like i know how to speak their language that's as far as it goes like and and then she goes and she's like uh we we fixed it there's no fugitives you can go inside the apartment and i'm like how is that cop to cop speak like you're just talking to them like normal people. Like like you know Ryan could have said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like and it's another thing that 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 really bothered me about Yaz being a cop is that no crime solving, no problem solving. I get that you know she's still a rookie for lack of a better term, but nothing that could have played up with that. Well, the thing is, is that they keep trying to play it up. They they do this thing in both Kerblam and in this in Fugitive of the Jadoon where they keep, Yaz and Ryan keep asking very basic questions. And the doctor keeps going like, oh yeah, the two of you asking the smart questions. Look at you with your detective skills, you detectives. And I know that the show is trying to be like, remember, she's a cop and he's like her partner, their friends from when they were little. They work well together. Look at them. They should be like a couple or something. But the problem is, is that the questions are so basic, you know, it's like if you walk into a birthday party or something and there's like balloons and music playing and cake on every table and then somebody goes like, okay, but where are all the party guests? 
And the doctor goes, oh, aren't you really smart with the questions? You're right. There should be people here. It just makes the doctor look dumb rather than the companion look smart. Yep. Because honestly, that's like Blue's Clues level thinking, I mean, you know? I, mean, like, <laughs> I get that this is a kid's show. But, but it's a kid's show for like 12-year-olds or something, you know? Like, it's not a kid's show for preschoolers, and they're asking the preschool questions. Mm-hmm. You know? And the doctor is constantly treating them. Like, really, it does feel like Blue's Clues when you're watching it. Like, you feel like, you know, Steve or Joe or somebody is going to be like, Oh, aren't you smart? Tell your parents to give you a gold star, you know, like. It it really does feel like that's what the doctor is doing. And that's not the level of kids show. Doctor Who was never that kids show. Because it was never made by the children's department of the BBC. It's made by the drama department of the BBC. It still is. Yeah, but it but needs to be a drama show first and a kids show second. It was an educational show. At the start, we talked about, at least it was meant to be. And then it was a show that children could watch after they came home from school. You know? Mm -hmm. But it was meant to be for, like, you know, like... Families. 10 to, you know, teenage-ish kind of years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't meant for, like, kindergartners. I mean... With Susan, she was a high school student, so you should at least have on that on that level. Yeah, and the thing is, is that suddenly the doctor is talking to her companions as if they are tiny children, and it's like the doctor didn't even talk to Susan like she was a child, and she was a child. You know, and honestly, I was shocked to find out that Yaz was supposed to be 19 because she looks like she's like 25 or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and she keeps talking about being a police officer and stuff and like, okay, yeah, I know that you can like join the police force when you're young, but like, I don't know. I I don't know how, how old the actor was when she joined the show, but like. She looks older. <laughs> yeah. And they keep talking about her as if she's like already fully on the police force <laughs> instead of just like I'm a cop in training kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always think of her as older than I guess she's supposed to be. Um, but I don't know. It's it's so weird to me when when they try to do the the cop Jadoon thing because really Yaz's only bit is when the daughter says like uh, all that that is overridden by Earth Mandate Twelve or something uh, right Officer Yaz and she's like oh yeah um, Mandate Twelve really important. Yeah, 12. Mhm. Yes, yes being a cop had so much potential and they waste it. 
They waste it. And I think the best thing they ever did was drop it. Well, yeah, I mean, the best thing they could have done was not do it at all, but, you know, yeah. I mean, if not, I mean, I think there was potential in that. Potential of having a law enforcement officer with this, with this doctor. Someone who's very, you know, by the book, hard for the rules versus the person who breaks the rules. Except Chibnall doesn't really remember so much that the doctor breaks the rules. I mean, the the doctor kind of makes up the rules, but then... And then breaks them. <laughs> but then, as we see in this episode, you know, we've got the the doctor and Ruth, you know, who, who turns out to be the fugitive doctor. You know, they, they end up going on their little road trip because... The, the doctor figures out that Ruth is probably not who she says she is because the Jadoon say that they've broken through her biological cloak and she's the fugitive they're looking for. Yeah, and she looks at her phone for a second and then suddenly she like turns into John Wick for two seconds. So yeah, sure, her, her quote husband <laughs> who we find out was actually her companion this entire time. Yeah. Sends her the text message. Assuming, you know, like, assume that's like the, 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 you know, the, the key phrase to unlock, to, to get that memory unlocked. Break the glass, follow the light. The last act he does, as he says, I kept my promise. And yeah, she's, it's a communion arch, which we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, we did. We didn't talk about the awesome Chameleon Arch episode with yeah, Tenth Doctor. Which human sucks. nature. Yeah, Human Nature is such a good episode. Uh, not so good as a you know as an introduction to Doctor Who or the Tenth Doctor, but it's a good episode. But yeah, the, at one point the Doctor was being chased by these, these aliens called the Family of Blood and disguised himself as a as a human to live among humans to protect him and eventually had to turn back into the doctor to defeat them in the most gruesome way the doctor can, the, the, the rage of a time Lord. But it turns out that's not the first time the doctor has used the chameleon arch because she did it to hide from the Jadoon because as we find out later, she was an agent for the Time Lords. So yeah, the, it turns out that the Doctor was an agent for an organization called The Division. Very creative. And she was going on missions for The Division, which, uh, which are the Time Lords. And she was running away from them. She used the Chameleon Arts to make herself human, hiding on Earth. And yeah, we find that, that the, the, the Jadoon have been working for... The Time Lords to capture the fugitive doctor and arrest her for abandoning her post. And it's a hell of a disguise because she disguises herself with her companion as a married couple. Does that imply that they had a relationship prior to her becoming human? The thing is, is that we don't know what species he ended up being. I think but just... he was also 
uh, being biologically shielded. But somehow kept his memories while the doctor hid hers away. I think that they needed one person who remembered. Much like what Tenth Doctor needed with Martha. It's possibly that he is a Time Lord too. Because that other Time Lord lady said that they had the same training. Yeah, I mean, she she recognized him, so... And he, you know, he recognized her, her back and everything. So it it is very possible that he he was also a Time Lord. Apparently the guy that runs the local shop hates his guts because he's in love with Ruth. I absolutely love the joke about the cake. You can do better. <laughs> yeah, that he he's like he orders the birthday cake and then he's like, uh, hey, do you have the cake? And he's like, Yeah, I I special I did did it special for you. <laughs> it's like you can do better. <laughs> yeah, he's like so hatred of this guy for this for the crime of being married to Ruth. Even signaling him out, oh, you want the fugitive? He's right over there. He's the guy that I hate and I want to fight on a daily basis because I want to bang his wife. So his death is kind of justified. I mean, how happy were you when the Jadoon vaporized that guy, though? He, 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 you know, for lack of a better term, dudes was a prick. You're hitting on a married woman who clearly has no interest in you. You're trying to fight her husband. You're 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 ratting him out to the cops, the space cops. You don't even know what he did. You're thinking that oh the space cops are going to kill him. Therefore, Ruth will become single, therefore I can slide in her DMs. Yeah. I mean, we we definitely definitely know that he is not human. We don't know what he is. We know that he's using the the biological uh, cloak thing that that Ruth is also using. But also, you know, when he goes in to pick up the cake and the guy's a douche to him, he does do the thing about, like, ugh, humans, you know? Like, so, like, you know, we we know that she didn't pick him up on Earth. Um, But, yeah. I'm going to be serious on this one. This should have been a two-parter. Oh, it should have. It's so rushed. Like, we get to more or less the two-thirds point, and I was expect well, the first time I saw this episode, I was expecting the credits. Hello, I'm the doctor. Right when Ruth says that she's the doctor, I was expecting the credits. Yes, and even... Even having seen this before, it's been so long since I've seen this episode. When I was doing the rewatch for this, I was like, oh, I forgot this ended on a cliffhanger. And then it continues after that point. I was like, oh, right. It didn't end on a cliffhanger. This should have ended on a cliffhanger. (laughs) It is because we've got a third third of an episode that should have been its own episode. Yeah, because the the reveal that she is a previous incarnation of the Doctor is so rushed. Yeah. 
We've got the really interesting, like, who, who is the fugitive? Why is she a fugitive? All of that is really, really interesting. And then you've got the side plot that we haven't even talked about where Captain Jack shows up and just picks up all the companions. Because he's, he's trying to find the doctor for some reason. But because the Jadoon are on Earth, they're putting a field over the over the Earth that that messes up transport uh, teleportations. So he's trying to get the doctor, and every time he tries to get the doctor, he gets one of the companions. And he thinks they're the doctor. Yeah, because he knows the doctor's regenerated, and he just can't figure out which one is the doctor. Which leads to him flirting with all of them as if they were the doctor. And then him flirting with all of them just because he's Jack and he flirts with everybody. But that is such a, I I kind of hate to say it, but we we should have cut that part out. Like, it was fun seeing Jack. At the time this aired, I was like, yay, Jack. But it was such a waste of Jack. One of his final appearances before he became unpersoned by the BBC. <laughs> yeah. Um, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, go listen to that episode. But the the thing is, though, is that they needed a reason for the Doctor to be separated from the Companions so that the Doctor could have this whole, like, you're me, I'm you, ah, you know. There are a gazillion D ways to do that. They could have been arrested by the... the, the yeah. The Jadoon, and yeah, yeah, I mean, there there could have been a whole thing where, like, oh no, we're currently being held prisoner by the Jadoon, save us, Doctor. Wait, you're the Doctor? No, you're the Doctor. No, uh, I'm so confused by all of this Doctor, Doctor thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, it could have been like, oh, they used the time blocker cannon, and now we're stuck in this flat for the rest of the episode help you know like whatever you know mm-hmm. um the doctor locked us in the TARDIS because the it, it's really important that we not be harmed by the Jadoon or something you know good grief it's such like, a waste of Jack it's like, it's like they had one day with, with John Barrowman and that was it well and also th- there's, oh, you know, in modern Doctor Who, now that they're trying to work on continuity more, oh, uh, which old Doctor Who did not give a crap about. I mean, we just got six episodes of old Doctors and Companions coming back, doing commentary for old episodes. Yeah. But, you know, in in current run Doctor Who, they, they care more about continuity so they like putting in these snippets of like, Doctor, here is a message. Something big is coming. Watch out for the wibbly wobbly, you know, like. And so that's what Jack is really here to do other than to have people go like, oh, my God, look, it's it's Jack, you know. Yeah, he's to beware the lone Cyberman, and which directly leads into the final three episodes of the season. Yeah. Um, and so that's like what he's here to do is he's really here to be like, 
Doctor, here's your next plot device. Bye. And it so it's that twofold thing of like it gets the companions out of the way so the doctor can have that little meeting with herself. And then it also is like, here's what the end of the season's gonna be about. But honestly, it's kind of a waste. Like, just send the companions on a red herring and have them find something and be like, Doctor, what's a Cyberman? You know, like, and then that's like the hook at the end of the episode or something. Or like, like they could have gotten arrested with the with the companion. Like, he's not killed. He's just arrested because he's, he's the accomplice to the fugitive. And they get and they start hear rumors of Cybermen. Like, what's a Cyberman? I don't know. And then he'll stop ending at the end. They asked Dr. Hey, we were while we were in in holding, we heard someone talk about Cybermen. What are Cybermen? What what what? what uh, how are they dangerous? And you could you could have let it in, us into that. But yeah, it ultimately ends up being a waste of a Jack Harkness appearance. Hey, doctor, don't do the thing. And then the doctor's like, you know what I should do? The thing. You know, it's, it's, it ends up being super duper pointless. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that's B plot with Jack that goes nowhere. And it's like, yeah, it's nice to see Jack. Jack's always fun, but meh. But I mean, it's just there for the next season. It's that, you know, the doctor actually does get arrested at the end of the season. And then Jack breaks her out. Yeah. That's it. But, you know, back to the A plot that's supposed to be the important bit. You know, we've got this previous incarnation of the Doctor used the chameleon arch and it's been hiding. And it kind of makes you do the thing at the time of like... Okay, why? If this is a pre-Hartnell thing, why is she here on Earth? Because Hartnell was supposed to be the first time the Doctor came to Earth. Why does she have the police box TARDIS? Because that was supposed to be... A 60s thing. A 60s Hartnell thing. Like, we have exact reasons for... All of these things, her being here doesn't make sense. Especially if she doesn't know, you know, any of her future incarnations. You know, her having all these things doesn't make sense. And then they explain it later. Oh, she just gets her mind wiped after every mission. Well, yeah, that's fine. So, did she get all this stuff from Hartnell? Did she meet Hartnell before on a mission? And go like, oh yeah, I'll take your, you know, police box TARDIS idea. Because she's also got the little round thingies in the inside. Yep. Uh, for you know, like she's got like bits from different future doctors. Why are all those things there? 
doesn't make sense. It's like this works if it's really weird the thirteenth era because it wants both it wants it both ways. It wants you to ignore the continuity of the past doctors because they want it to be more accessible to new viewers. But at the same time, they want to pull from continuity when they want to. And not just continuity, like deep cut continuity. Like so deep cut that even like real hardcore fans were going like, the what now? You know? Yeah, like I said, pulling from the never never finished Carnell master plan, which really wasn't a thing that they were, that was finished in the show. Pulling from the brains of Morbius, those other doctors, and then random things like, here's a Fez. Here's Jack Harkness. Yeah, it's it's such a mishmash of you when know, I got this, when I got this, I was a Scottish man, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk with a Scottish accent to open these handcuffs. Yeah, or like, you know, in the Kerblam episode, she goes like, "Speaking of wasps, did I ever tell you about Agatha Christie?" You know, yeah, like it's it wants to throw in all these Easter eggs, which are. Fun for the people who have been watching the reboot and, you know, would probably know these really obvious Easter eggs. Hey, I remember that episode. Hey, I remember when he wore a fez. Hey, I rem you know. And then stuff that's like, oh my god, I remember reading in, like, a behind-the-scenes Doctor Who thing one time about the Carnal Master Plan. You know, like... Good grief, you know, like, there's deep cuts and then there's deep cuts, my dude. And also, it's a deep cut that no longer makes sense. It's a deep cut that made sense when they were planning it. And it's a deep cut that doesn't make sense now. Like, originally, they planned on having the Tom Baker Doctor be the 13th Doctor, the 13th incarnation. That was the entire reason that during that era they brought up a Time Lord has 13 lives, look at the Master being a burnt husk, and they never followed through on that storyline. That's why they showed you all of the past faces pre-Hartnell, and they never went anywhere with it. And also, it made sense at the time because they were on the fourth actor to play the Doctor, and they thought, well, 13's a good long number. We're never going to last for 13 Doctors. We're about you to know? get the 14th and 15th. Well, also, yeah. we're now at the point where, like, you could tell somebody, like, we could be on the 25th Doctor, and they'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. All 57 Doctors. Yeah, I mean, you could, this thing could be like The Simpsons, you know? Mm -hmm. You could just tell somebody, like, your great-grandkids are going to be watching Doctor Who, and they'd be like, yeah, I can believe it. You know, if you'd have told somebody in 
Tom Baker's time, like, you know, your great grandkids are going to be watching Doctor Who. They'd be like, <laughs> that cheesy show with no budget and the dude with the long scarf on PBC that only dorks watch. Yeah, right. Like, no, nobody would have believed you, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of dorks would have believed you. David Tennant would be like, you're right, my grandkids are going to be watching Doctor Who. And that Doctor Who is going to be me. And I'm going to be in it twice. <laughs> um, but the, um, but like, you know, most people on the street would have laughed you off the street, you know? But now I think you would tell most people, especially in the UK, like, you know, yeah, your great grandkids are going to be watching the, you know, 25th Doctor or whatever. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know it. Who do you especially, think that doctor's going to be taking bets now? Especially with, you know, the Disney partnership. Oh, yeah. Now now that stuff is never going to die. Disney never lets go of anything. Like, when that plan was put into place, it was a completely different world for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to come up with things because they were like, we're about to get canceled. Like this, th- this thing's gonna die. We're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know. <laughs> like we almost got canceled because of the cricket guy. We almost got canceled with Mister Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's like this guy almost trips over his scarf seven times a day. Yeah, this guy's gonna break his neck on a scarf. Like we're getting canceled any second now. So what I'm saying is like he kind of went back that far and forgot like I really need to change a lot of this stuff because it's been like 40 years Mm -hmm. and the entire universe surrounding the show the fandom the way it's produced all of the lore between then and now everything has changed And instead of going like there was a kernel of an idea here I can take and change it into something better, he kind of just went like, eh, a bunch of the work was done for me. I'm just going to pick that up whole cloth and dump it in here. And I, I really hate that he didn't do more work on it. Like I said, Chibnall wanted to make his mark on Doctor Who. He wanted to ha- have a have a moment. He wanted to, you know, to just make this his show and this is what we got. And I hate it so much. I mean, I like the idea that like maybe there's an incarnation that's been wiped from the mind. Yeah, but we got that already with the War Doctor. But the thing is, the Doctor didn't wipe that incarnation. The Doctor just wouldn't tell on people. Mm. You know, the Doctor knew the War Doctor was there. Like, when Nine showed up, Nine was like, yep, I'm the Ninth Doctor. There's been no Doctors between Eight and me. Yep, do not ask about that blank time (laughs) between when I was in San Francisco and when I showed up in here at Rose's store. <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely nothing happened between then and now. <laughs> I was not John Hurt at any point. Um, but for the doctor to go like, wait, there was a me that I don't remember? 
Now, that's a fascinating thing. Okay? At what point in the continuity does it fall? Fascinating thing. Was it an incarnation of the War Doctor, maybe, that the War Doctor, you know, erased? There is an argument to be made that this is between two and three. I mean, that might be interesting, you know? I mean, there was that time where the, you know, I mean, the Time Lord showed up and is like, hey, we're really mad at you. We're going to force you to regenerate. Maybe, you know? I mean, that would be interesting. Maybe that forced regeneration wasn't what we thought it was. Mm -hmm. You know? That would be fascinating. You know? Maybe they, they forced the regeneration and made her work for the Time Lords. And then we picked back up where we thought we were in the show. With that would be, yeah. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing. You know? I could see that happening in the continuity. That that forced regeneration wasn't what we thought it was. Um, and that there was a period of you have to come work with us to, to make up your penance. You know, your penance wasn't forced regeneration. Your penance was working for the Time Lords as an agent, you know? With a new face. With a new face. And, and, and we now wiped that your memory afterwards. Yeah. And then we let you go on about your silly little adventures. That would have been just mind-blowing. Like, Although you know, it, make, it makes sense for the Time Lords to say, you're going to work for us. We're going to change your face. Oh, we're going to change your face again and make you do your punishment anyway. Yeah, I mean, the Time Lords were total dicks. You know, that sounds like something they would have done. That would have fit in continuity beautifully. You know, um, and then the doctor trying to figure out, like, what did I do during that missing span of time? What did the Time Lords make me do? Is there amends I have to go make? You know, especially after she saw this past version of herself kill another Time Lord. Yeah. Also, why is that Time Lord there? Why is Gat there? Why does Gat not know that all of Gallifrey is gone? If Cat is an agent of the Time Lords, that hasn't happened yet. Like the the Thirteenth Doctor has to tell her about the Time War. They don't know about that. But what I'm saying is, like, wouldn't you be like if you're an agent? Like, okay, say you're like a CIA agent or something, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll. And you're out on assignment or whatever. You're the handler, okay? Which is what Gat is supposed to be, I think, is like the handler for this version of the Doctor. You're the interim person between the government you work for and the agent in the field. Theoretically, you would be contacting the U.S. government to be like, Hey, any changes in our mission? No, I still haven't found the agent on the run or whatever. Hey, I need more money. Hey, I need more resources. Any new updates, whatever. If the entire U.S. government disappeared, wouldn't you know about it? And like I said, it's that hasn't happened for them yet. As far as they're concerned, they're still contacting Gallifrey in the past. I'm not sure how that works, but that's the logic that yeah, this episode I'm, is taking. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure how that logic's either because yeah. 
the thing is, is like time lords or time travelers. The doctor didn't just like, like, oh, you know, I killed the the Daleks and the time lords. Like, if you're killing a time traveling species, you have to erase the species from the timeline. Like that was always my 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 understanding of Doctor Who. Like after the Time War, like the Doctor can't just go back into the past and be like, "Oh, I I I feel sad about my family or whatever. Let me go back into the past and visit." Like Gallifrey 500 years ago. Yeah, because make... there is no Gallifrey 500 years ago because Gallifrey is gone. It does so... not exist in the timeline. The fact that there can be a Time Lord just, you know, bopping around somewhere. With no knowledge is... of the Time War? Yeah, with zero knowledge of the Time War. That is not just like, you know, a Time Lord hobo or something that's like, oh, I left Gallifrey because they were all dicks. Like, no, this is supposed to be like somebody who's working for Gallifrey's government. You know, like deep state Gallifrey, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't understand that there was a time war and that they're all gone. And even when the doctor shows her, they make mental contact. She still doesn't believe it. This is a trick. What sorcery is this? Although I will give it to Fugitive Doctor that like uh, sabotaging the gun. Legit move. Legit move. And then telling her don't shoot it. I'm begging you don't shoot it. You do not want to know what happens if you shoot it. I am giving you a warning. Please do not fire that weapon. You killed her. I gave her a warning. (laughs) And also, like, keeping the conversation going until they're in, like, international waters, basically. (laughs) International space. (laughs) Yeah, like, the Jadoon have no uh, oversight there. And, in fact, no laws apply there because nobody owns that part of space. Um, and so the Judoon are like, a crime has been committed. You have murdered this woman. And she's like, nope, it was an accident. And also nobody has jurisdiction over this part of space. So no Isn't that right, daughter? And the daughter's like, uh, technically you are correct. That is the best kind of correct. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> The Fugitive Doctor is a great concept, and we've just explained it a whole of a lot better than Chibnall ever did. I know that we're getting more Fugitive Doctor. Uh, Last year, Big Finish announced that they were going to be doing a series of audio uh, adventures with both the Fugitive Doctor and Sasha Dewan's Master. So we know we're getting those two characters in more adventures, and I want more of them because they're like one of the few bright spots of this era. But I really I, wish I have Jody to would... say something about Sasha Devon's master, though. Mm-hmm. 
he's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I like him. I also like him on um there's a there's a series over on Hulu that we should talk about at some point. Um called The Great. Mm. That's loosely based on Catherine the Great. Um and he is a regular character on that. Excellent on that. I saw him on that first, and then uh, I saw him in this run, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, he's uh, he's a pretty awesome actor, and I think he does the master justice. I liked his run in the master, even though, once again, I thought the writing was weak. There are people who hated his version just because they really liked Missy. Oh, and I love lo- Missy. I mean, I, I I like most of the versions of the Master. Except the Eric Roberts version. Uh, Eric Roberts' Master is the worst thing to ever happen to Doctor Who, probably. Um, But, yeah, no, I think Sasha did an amazing job but with I, what he was given. Yeah, but uh, as I was saying, is that there are people who want Missy to be the final master because how do you go back to being evil by after you said you were going to be good? It's like, it's the master. Yeah, I mean, do you trust anything the master says? No, no, you don't. You're not supposed to trust. The, the master lies. The doctor lies. You don't trust him. I mean, all time lords are kind of dicks. Like, true. <laughs> um,. But yeah, and I would love, uh, you know, to go back to what I'm saying, I would love if Jodie did Big Finish because I want to see more of her doctor, but get that get that rehabilitation that Colin Baker got, that Paul McGann got, and have her have these stories written by people who really do understand the doctor and who 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 are competent writers. There, I said it. I want competent writers to write for Jodie Whittaker. Oh my goodness, wouldn't that be amazing? So yeah. Jodie deserved better. Sasha deserved better. Joe deserved better. Yes, and you know, well, you guys know the rest of the story at this point. Because uh, Ryan and Graham leave to deal with Ryan's daddy issues with his deadbeat dad and... We get Dan for a little while during the Flux storyline, and they all end up leaving, and the 13th Doctor regenerates, and oh, hey, it's David Tennant again. The thing is, is I had given up on watching the series uh, live at that point, and I was also kind of out of town when that aired, Mm -hmm. um, and wouldn't have access to basically any ability to watch the episode when the regeneration appeared. So I actually contacted um, a friend and I was like, because I knew they'd be watching it immediately, you know. And I was like, people had been saying, you know, like, there was a rumor that it might be a previous doctor coming back. David was... Tennant had been, at that point, David Tennant had been spotted filming something in that outfit, and people thought it was Doctor Who. 
no one was confirming it yet. Yeah, so there there had already been rumors that it might be David Tennant, um, or there were rumors that it might be a new person. There were Judy had just been announced at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, we we didn't know there were yeah. there were all kinds of things going around. And so I contacted a friend and I'm like, I don't care about the plot of the episode or anything else. I just need to know who was on the other end of that regeneration. (laughs) I'm like, when all the sparkles faded, who's at the other end of that regeneration? Whose face did we see? Yeah. And they were like, it was David Tennant. And I'm like, is there any context to that? And they were like, he just went, what, what, what? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> end of episode, good to know. Um, and here we are one year later, just a few weeks from where, when we're recording this of the 60th airing. And we're going to get at least three more episodes of David Tennant as the Doctor, now the 14th Doctor, before he passes it on to Shooty Gatwa's uh, 15th. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what the storyline is. Like, is this a, is this like a Peter Capaldi thing where it's like, why did I choose this face? Yeah. Or is this like. The toy maker screwing with them? (laughs) The 10th Doctor Redux, you know, like. Has Handy returned from the alternate dimension? Is this the trickster? Um, you know, is is the master doing some shenanigans? You know, did the master uh, steal another doctor's face? Yeah, that would be weird. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be interested to see how they do the toy maker. Yeah, and it's really weird that they chose the toy maker because most of that series, most of those episodes are missing. Like and also one... very racist, apparently. Yeah, celestial doesn't mean from space. It yeah, he's dressed as he's dressed in, in traditional Chinese garb. And I'm so glad they got rid of that for his return. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully, even if they'd have tried to do that, hopefully Neil Patrick Harris would have known better than to say yes. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you Google the origin of the term, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not a... Let's just say it's it's a racist term for Asian people and uh, move on. The original, um, the original name of the toy maker was going to be called the Mandarin, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the future as of this. But uh, before we head to the 60th, we do have one more to go. We have one more doctor to look at, and we are we save this one for last. We are going to be taking a trip back 10 years to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. And we're going to be talking about the one that broke the promise. 
the one that abandoned the name, the one that was not the doctor, the war doctor, John Hurt. Yes, next week, the 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor. It is, yeah, that's that's going to be some interesting stuff. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I didn't get to see that in the theater. I'm so mad. Yeah. So come back next week. War Doctor. Day of the Doctor. It's Tenet back. It's Smith in his final year. And also Clara's here. So, but yeah. also, uh, somebody else is back too. Yeah, we'll get to that. So come back next week for the Day of the Doctor and celebrate the 50th anniversary once again before we get to the 60th. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. We're sorry, Jody. We love you. Love you, Jody. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun, but there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.